0: All right, all right. Welcome to the bridge and to arrows. We've been talking about for the last few weeks this idea of arrows and uh, talking about the relational dynamics within the family, within the home, and specifically as parents. How do we launch our kids without losing our minds? And at times, that feels like it could be a reality, right? That that we might lose our minds in our parenting. And so we're trying to avoid that as best we can. So we were talking about that the last three weeks. And so I'm glad you're here today. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge. And we really wanted this series to be very practical and useful, uh, even beyond Sunday mornings. And so we've created a resource page during the series. It's the bridge.me slash arrows. And on that resource page, we have all kinds of websites that we recommend for you and the family. We have apps that we have on there, including one of the ones that we introduced last week called the MyFam app. And it's an app with all kinds of activities for the family and talking points, things to discuss. Uh, We also have other tools that you can put in your parenting toolbox along with all the messages that we've done prior to today. So if you've missed any and you want to catch up, you can find them there at, uh, at the resource page. So we really do want this to be a, a helpful and useful series for you beyond, and the conversation goes beyond Sunday morning. And we've, each week we've utilized a passage in the book of Psalms. It is uh, one of two passages or two Psalms that Solomon wrote, King Solomon, who the Bible describes as the wisest person to ever live. And uh, he wrote in Psalm 127, it's so where we get the title of the series. And here's what it says. Behold, children are a heritage and gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the city gate. So Solomon says, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And so we've been looking at how how does this apply in our homes? And how do we, you know, how do we utilize this as a way to help launch our kids without losing our minds? And we talked about how arrows, the title, forms an acrostic. And it served kind of as a guide each week uh, for where we're going to go during that week's talk. And here's where we've been so far. We've talked about A is aim. What is the aim of parenting? R, the release. How do we get to the place where we release our kids into this world? And then last week, we talked about rhythm, that that there's a rhythm to family and to parenting that God invites all of us to. And so we talked about what that looks like in the home last week. And today we come to the letter O, and O stands for obstacles, obstacles. And every archer, when they're shooting, at times they're gonna run into some obstacles. Those obstacles could impede the aim, the flight, anything of those arrows and really increase the odds that they may not hit the target. And while that's true in archery, it's definitely true in parenting. That there are obstacles along the way that we might face that at the very least will kinda put our kids or make our kids kinda be off target And not clearly hit the target if at most might derail them completely. And so how do we parent through some of these obstacles? And today I want to talk to you about what I think are the biggest three obstacles. They're based on my years of parenting, some 25 years or so of parenting, and also dealing with parents and kids over the last several years. These are three of the biggest. It's not that they're the only three They're just three of the biggest ones that we'll face. So, I'm gonna talk about these big three obstacles and really try to give some uh, some helpful uh, principles along the way to deal and parent through some of those obstacles. So, here we go. Big three obstacles that we face in parenting. Number one, the choices they make. So, as we talk about our kids, the choices they begin to make, and they start making choices very early on as children. But as they grow older and as they get bigger, the choices get bigger and they have greater responsibility along with greater consequences. And so we want to try to shape them to help them make good choices along the way. Uh, Solomon also wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said this in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink. So a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. A wise person chooses the right road. A fool takes the wrong one. He says, even the sweetest smelling life can get a little stinky if they make the wrong choices. Anybody ever discovered that? And it says the fool chooses the wrong road. The wise choose the right road. And so what we want to do as parents, really, we want to try to help shape and guide our kids to make some of the right choices in life. And the reason it's such a big fear. Because we, we as parents, we have this fear that they're going to make some bad decisions. And those decisions are going to lead to a ton of regret in their life. And you know why we fear that? Well, let me just show you. By show of hands, how many of us have made decisions in our life that we regret? Now you can be honest in church, this, this day only. Yeah, yeah, pretty much all of us, okay? We've all made decisions that on some level we regret, and some of it may be a lot more regret than others, but we've all made those kind of decisions. So as we think about our kids, and we think about as they're growing up and they're starting to make bigger and bigger decisions and their greater responsibility and bigger consequences, we really want to try to lead them in such a way that, man, don't make the same mistakes I've made. Don't make mistakes or, or make decisions that you at some point wind up regretting. And so how do we shape those kinds of decisions? How do we help guide them to make some wise decisions and not foolish decisions? Well, it will require things like boundaries and the discipline that we incorporate to help uh, keep those, our children within those limitations and those boundaries. Now, as soon as we start talking about boundaries and limitations, there's probably a thought that goes through some of our minds like, well, I don't want to be so strict on my kids to just ruin their childhood. Okay, well, I don't want you to be that strict either that their childhood is ruined. But here's what I would tell you. Study after study has proven, it's not just my opinion, uh, study after study has shown that children are happier and healthier when they have boundaries. When they have limitations, uh, and those limitations and boundaries grow as at, or, or you know loosen up as they get older, but you have to have some type of standard, and you have to have discipline to help them stay within those boundaries or limitations, and when there are not boundaries and limitations, it is very confusing and is very frustrating for children, and the good thing is I didn't make that up. Smarter people than me came up with that. But it's true. I've discovered that to be true in my own life and with my own kids. So, so we need those boundaries in life and the, and the discipline that we incorporate to go with it. Now, here's what the, the, the Scripture talks about. When it talks about discipline, in the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 12, it says, Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. How many would agree with that? That when we are going through discipline, it seems to be more pain than pleasure at the moment, right? Yet later, it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. It's saying that as we incorporate discipline, that it has the potential, though it doesn't feel good at the time, it has the potential to transform the character of the person. Isn't that something that we really desire for our kids to be people of character? To live in this world with character, I mean, that, that seemed like something we would desire. And it has a, an ability to yield peace and the right kind of living. In other words, it has the ability that when they put their head on their pillow at night, that no matter what's going on around them, inside, in their soul, they feel like, man, all is good. I'm at peace with everything because of decisions I've made. And that there's a right kind of living. There's this right standard of living they've incorporated in their life. As a parent, I want that for my kids. I think most of us would want that. And so what what God is talking about here in in, in this this passage in Hebrews, it's really talking about how God deals with us. So those of us who are are followers of Christ, he says that God has invited us to a standard And he's placed boundaries and limitations on the kind of life that he wants us to live, that he desires for us to live. And it's not that he's sitting up there and he's bored and he's like, I'm going to give some more boundaries over here. I'm going to put some limitations. That's not it at all. God knows what's absolute best for you and what's best for me. And he wants what's best for us. And so he creates these boundaries, these limitations for us to live the best life possible. And when we decide to live outside of those, Occasionally, God will discipline, and when it talks about discipline, there's no way inflicting punishment or being punitive. It's basically saying, out of love, God says, I want what's best for you. And so out of my love for you, I want to try to bring you back into this and to experience what's absolute best for you. And so that's the kind of parenting God invites us to incorporate. That we look at our kids and we say, I want the best life possible for you. I'm not, I, I haven't gotten bored as your mom or dad and think, you know, I'm just going to incorporate some more rules. You know, I don't have enough to do today, so let's just implement a few more rules. It's not that, and none of us feel that way, right? It's, it's really, if we truly love our kids, we want the best life possible for them. And so we implement boundaries, limitations, and discipline to go with that. Uh, during week two of the series... I talked about parent with the end in mind. In other words, develop whatever goals or dreams or hopes that you have for your your kids beyond the time that they spend in your home. And parent toward that end. So the decisions you make, the things that you do, you're parenting toward that goal. You have that end in mind. And I want to add a layer to that today. Not only parent with the end in mind, but discipline with the end in mind discipline with the end in mind. In other words, I have a certain goal, a certain agenda here. I, I want to, not only do I want my kids to have a relationship with their heavenly father, but I want them to have a relationship with me beyond the time that they're in my home. So that, imp, that impacts the way I discipline. You, you see, for Trina and me, and Trina's my wife, for Trina and me, we never had the, the mindset, you know, we didn't want to have perfectly behaved kids who couldn't wait to leave home and didn't want to come home, right? I mean, what good does it do to have, you know, yeah, we told the line, we're perfectly behaved. I cannot wait to get out of this place. I've never come back home. We didn't want that. We, we wanted kids that, man, they wanted to, to live within the boundaries that we had set. But more importantly than that, we wanted them to have a relationship with us. And we wanted them to want to have a relationship with us. And so that impacted Ways that we disciplined. And so in thinking about discipline, I just give you some things to consider, okay? These are things that we tried to incorporate. You can take these or you cannot. These are just things for you to consider, okay? Number one, in your discipline, I would say emphasize values over compliance. See, so often we think, you know, as parents, you will comply. You're going to do what? As long as you live under this roof. You're going to do what I say, you know, and, and, and compliance works when they're little. You know, when they're smaller, you can take them because you're bigger. You can put them where you want them to be. You can strap them in. They can't move. They've got to stay right there and they will eat that, you know, so you can do all those things, right? It gets more difficult as they get older because they get bigger and now you're trying to force compliance in ways that's not working as well. See, it's been a long time since I've strapped my boys down into a seat and said, you're going to eat that. You know, they, they learned some years back that that old man's strength is just a myth, okay? I kept using that for a long time, and they finally figured out no, that, that ain't real. And so it's been a long time since there's been forced compliance, all right? So, so instead of that, and I'm not saying there are not times when you, they need to comply. Don't Don't, don't misunderstand. But more than that, the emphasis should be on values because values are things they're going to take well beyond their years in your home. Values like honor. Honoring the people in your home. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. What would look like in your home if it was characterized as an environment that, where people honored each other. You and your spouse honored each other. Your children honored each other and honored you. Like, like that was a focus in your home, that we're gonna honor. See, here's the thing about honor. When honor is present, fewer rules are needed. But when honor is not present, you have to come up with a rule about everything. Because you can't get people to honor each other. So you got to come up with a rule about every little thing they do. But when there's honor, when kids are not, you know, just I'm going to get mine, and I'm going to take this, and I'm going to do this. And, but instead, I want to honor you, and you honor me. Man, when that atmosphere is there. See, that's something they take with them beyond just your, their time in your home, right? Things like forgiveness. How great would it be to teach our kids about forgiveness? You think they'll ever need to incorporate things about forgiveness in the world? Anybody ever going to do them wrong? They need to forgive. Self-control. Kindness. See, See, these are values. These are values that you can emphasize much more than simple compliance. So I would would encourage you to emphasize values over compliance. The second thing I would tell you is to emphasize relationship over obedience. Now, again, I'm not telling you not to emphasize obedience. But emphasize the relational part of this much more so than strictly obeying. Again, you can get your kids to strictly obey. And even as they get older, you can can use other tactics, you know. I mean, yeah, you're older, and I can't force you into that seat. But if you want to go out this weekend, you know, so we, we use other ways, right? And again, those things work. But when they leave your home, they may not want to have a relationship with you. So how can you focus on the relational aspect of what you're doing? And emphasize how the relationship is important. Because, see, there are times that we can be absolutely right as parents, but be dead wrong relationally. So you're willing to fight for the heart of your child. And in your discipline, how about make a part of the consequences restoring relationships? So if you've done someone wrong, if you've dishonored someone, let's create ways. As a part of the discipline for you to go and restore that relationship. See, restoring relationships is something that they're going to need all the rest of their life. So these are ways of parenting with the end in mind. And the last thing I would tell you is don't bail, let them fail. Now that's hard. That's even hard for me because nothing in my heart as a parent that wants to see my kids fail anything. But I know this, if I get in the habit of constantly bailing them out, then I'm creating a level of helplessness that's going to go on into their adult years. And Trina, my wife and I, we, we, we made it a practice and we, we pretty much held to it. I mean, there was maybe a rare, less than five occasions when we ever went up to the school and ever had a conversation with a teacher or a principal or a coach that, we initiated. Now there were a couple of times that they initiated it, but but that we initiated. And the, and the biggest reason was, you know, th- those kids came from my loins. I figured they probably were guilty. Whatever it was that we're talking about, right? <laughs> but any of the times that I did go up to have a conversation with anyone, I, I, the attitude that I took on was I, I wanted I wanted to look at that teacher, or coach, or principal, whoever it was, and say, I'm sure you're probably right about this. I just need to understand why. So that I can help you on the home front. Uh, I didn't go in there with the mindset, I know my kids right. Because I didn't, whether they were or weren't, I wanted to know what was going on and why they went in this direction. So that I could help on the home front. You say, well, what about when the criticism is is unjust, when it's wrong? Well, isn't that part of life? I mean, when they get out of school, they're not going to have criticism that's unjust and things that are wrong. I mean, when they're working someday out in the world and their boss is unfairly criticizing them or judging them, are they going to call you and the mom's going to go up there and meet with the boss? I mean, how's that going to work? It might be better to teach them how to deal with criticism that's unfair and unjust than to try to rescue them. Don't bail them out. Let them fail. And that's difficult. That's difficult as a parent. So, so discipline, helping them make choices that are, that are wise and not foolish so that they don't live with a ton of regret in their life. So that's the first of the big three, the choices they make. The second one are trials they face, trials they face. And I wish, and I know you do too, that life and parenting could be obstacle and pain-free, Right? Don't you wish life could just be pain-free, obstacle-free, no problems? And we could teach our kids, hey, life's just going to be great. It's going to be smooth sailing. There's never going to be a problem, never going to be any heartache, never going to be any pain. But that's not true. That's not a reality. And there will be times, potentially, even in your child's life, that they face pain and heartache and trials and adversity. So how do you help them navigate through those kinds of things? In the, the book of James in the New Testament. Here's what James said. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there are times that we will go through situations, heartache, it's really just going gonna, gonna to test a lot of stuff. And, and the truth is, and you can help your kids understand, once you get out of school, it doesn't mean testing is over. There's a lot of tests that come in life. And sometimes, if we're being honest as adults, sometimes those tests and those trials that we face cause us to even question our faith. And that's just real. That's just being honest. But what James is saying is that it's not that necessarily God is the author of some of the adversity and the difficulty you face, but in the middle of that, God can use that to create a level of perseverance in your heart and in your faith so that your perseverance begins to work fully in your life to a place where you become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, wouldn't you love to know that your kids someday will be characterized as mature and complete, not lacking anything? That they've learned the ability to persevere, no matter the circumstances. Well, that'd be great, wouldn't it? So along the way, as we help them navigate through some of the pain and adversity that they experience, some things to remember, maybe things that you can help them with. Like, for instance, God doesn't promise to change our circumstances, only to use them. God never made a promise to us that he would change our circumstances. Now, he does promise to use those circumstances in our life. But see, automatically, when we face adversity, what do we do? We pray. We become the most religious people in the world when we go through difficulty. Because even people that say they don't believe in God, as soon as difficulty comes, I mean, serious difficulty, they start praying. And we pray. And what do we pray? I do the same thing. What do we pray? God, would you remove this? God, would you change this? God, would you you make these circumstances different? Get me out of this or whatever it is. And more times than not, God doesn't do that. But when God doesn't do that, many times we sit back and we get mad at God. We get upset with God. We walk away at times from God. Because we wanted God to do something and he did not do it. But the truth is he never promised that he would change our circumstances. But he did promise in several places in scripture. In the book of Romans in chapter 8 he makes a promise that even the worst of things that you will experience in life, God can use those in your life create good to do something good in your heart and in your life if you just trust him Jesus as he was trying to prepare the disciples for when he was going to be leaving and not be there present with them in the gospel of John chapter 16 here's what he said he said I've told you these things so that you so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world he said in this world You're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. But take heart. You can rest in me. You can have peace in me because I've overcome the world. It's not a promise to change the circumstances. It's a promise to work through the circumstances. To help grow you. Complete you. To bring good out of it. So God doesn't promise to work through our circumstances. God doesn't promise to change them, but to work through our circumstances. The next thing you can help them know as they're facing adversity is that adversity is an opportunity to see God's activity. Adversity is never an indication that God is absent. It's never an indication that God doesn't care. We feel that way, right? God, where are you? You must not care. But that's... that's farthest from the truth. Because the truth is, God is working. He's constantly working. He's always working. Even in the midst of the adversity you're facing, God is working. And here's what adversity does for us. A lot of times it makes our heart very sensitive and open to seeing what God's up to. Because we're sitting there going, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know what to do. God, I need you. And now we're really, really sensitive to seeing God's work. And in those moments... We have an opportunity to see God, His activity. Maybe better than some other times when everything's going great. And along the way, we teach them don't judge anything too quickly. Which we all do, including me. How many times we said this is the worst day ever, and the very next day this is the best day ever, and the next day it's the worst day ever. It's like you know. We we we're just going back and forth, back and forth, based on whatever the circumstances seem to be in that moment, and we judge things so quickly. We go through something and we think, "Oh, this is so bad," and then it produces something down the road that we would have never have realized had we not gone through this. And we're like, "Okay, well, maybe it was not that bad." So so we need to teach our kids. Listen, don't judge things too quickly. What, what's what's going on that's so devastating today could change tomorrow. God is always at work; He's always moving, and you can trust Him in the midst of your adversity. So the choices they make, the trials they face, and then the third of the big three, the friends they meet. And see, I can hear it; I can hear the audible. Hmm. Hmm. My kids are going off to. Kindergarten this year, I don't know what kind of friends they're going to meet. <laughs> Kids going into middle school, I don't know what's going to happen in middle school. Kids going into high school, who are they going to meet? What kind of situation are they going to find themselves? The, the reason we are we so audible just then is because we understand. We understand that there is something about friendship that makes it so incredible, but at the same time, incredibly dangerous. And it's this little principle that acceptance leads to influence. And when we are in an atmosphere where we feel accepted, we are very open to being influenced. And see, that's what friendship, that's what's so great about friendship, right? You're with people that accept you. That love you, that care about you, you can be you. But it's also what is so dangerous because in that atmosphere, we're open to their influence. Now you think about it. Some of the biggest regrets that you have in life, you probably did with people that you didn't consider enemies. You may now, but you didn't then. They were friends. Some of the most addictive behaviors we ever get involved in. We start those behaviors with friends. Friends. That acceptance leads to influence. And that's what makes us nervous. Because we don't know who will accept them. We don't know what kind of influence they will be. And it leads to really an overriding principle that's not just true about, you know, our children, but it's true about us as adults as well. And it's this, that our friends will influence the quality and direction of our lives. Our friends will influence the quality and the direction of our lives. See, again, you think back to things that you've done that you wish you never would have done, places that you went you wish you never would have been there, things that happened you wish you could take back and never be a part of. It was probably because of the people you were hanging with, and they influenced the quality of your life and the direction that your life took, at least in that moment. You may do things right now that at one point you thought, I'll never do anything like that. I think it's wrong, and now you're doing it today, and it's because of the influence of friends. And now your life, the quality of it, the direction of it has gone a different direction. And we know that's true, and that's what makes us so nervous about our kids, right? They will influence the quality and direction of the life. Uh, Solomon, again, in the book of Proverbs, he writes this in Proverbs 13:20 says, "Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm." This verse has a promise and a warning. Walk with the wise and become wise. That's the promise. The warning: a companion of fools suffers harm. So, so look. The, the, the promise: walk with the wise and grow wise. So Solomon is saying those who walk in a way that's wise, according to what the the Bible describes as wise. You say, well, how is that? Well, the Bible says the wise person is the person that knows that all of life is connected. That the decisions you make today will impact your life tomorrow. The decisions you made yesterday are impacting your life today. And it goes on day after day after day that what I do today will impact my life down the road. Because all of life is connected. There are no choices that I make that are in a vacuum. Every choice I make leads somewhere, either good or bad. And so that's the wise person. They know that life, all these choices, they know all of it is connected. And so the Bible says, when you hang out with wise people, by the, just the fact that you're in close proximity to a wise person, you become wiser. That's a pretty good promise. Like you don't even have to do anything, just hang out with them. And you get wiser just by hanging out with them. That's pretty cool. But then the, the danger was the opposite side. Now, the way the verse is written, you would think, says, you know, hang with the wise, you become wise. Hang with the fool, you become a fool. But that's not what Solomon says, because it's much more subtle than that. Walk with the wise, you grow wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. What does that mean? That means it. The people you hang out with, even if you don't believe the things they believe, even if you don't behave the way they behave, by the very fact that you're with them when everything goes down, you will be impacted by the shrapnel of their life when it implodes. You didn't even have to do anything. You were just there. But you were in the wrong place, and it must have been the wrong time. You know what I'm saying? You were just there with them. You were a companion of a foolish person, but you suffered harm by just being a companion. And so as parents, we're sitting back going, okay, so how do I dial in the wise people and dial out the foolish people? Which is a great question. I think it's something that you should constantly be thinking about as parents. But here's the good news, good news for all of us you don't have to do any of these things alone. When it comes to the choices they make, when it comes to the trials they face, when it comes to the friends they meet, as the bridge, we want to partner with you. And we want to walk beside you through every one of those situations. See, we, at the bridge, we buy into what we call an orange philosophy. And the orange philosophy basically says two combined influences have greater potential, can make a greater impact... Than just two influences. So, in other words, when you take the red of the family, and that's characterized by the heart, the love of the family, the red of the family, the heart of the family connect, connected to the yellow, the church, the light of the truth that the church has, the light of the scripture. When you take that yellow and you combine it with red, you have orange, and you have two powerful influences that are both very powerful but together they can have maximum impact and so that's what we've desired and what we've done here at the bridge is we've created ministry that's based on this philosophy that we don't want to become the parents of your kids because you're their parents and you still as their parents are the most influential voice in their life now if you've got middle schoolers and High schoolers right now, you're questioning and doubting what I just said. But I promise you, I promise you, you are still the most influential voice in their life. We're not trying to take that at all. We just want to walk beside you. We want to be that voice that comes along beside you that's saying the same things. And so when they're going through these different phases of life... And at times when they begin questioning whether or not they actually want to listen to you as their parents, and they all get there. You know, I remember when I was a kid. You probably do when you were a kid. My dad was the greatest. He was the smartest, most intelligent man I'd ever met in my life until I was about 13. (laughs) I don't know what happened to him, but from the age of 13, (laughs) from the age of 13 till about 22, he just lost it. I don't know what, he just, it's like, man, I don't know what was going on. No brain, brain connection. I don't know what it was. But then about age 22, he got smart again. And, and he's just gotten wiser and wiser over the years. So go figure. But, but there comes a time when kids are looking at their parents and like, okay, no, whatever. Or it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 wah. In those moments... Wouldn't you love to know that someone that has a position of influence in their life that was walking with them was saying the same things that you're saying? That was holding to the same values that you hold to? See, we tried to we try to set up our, our family ministry in that way. And so we have in our family ministry, and that's from preschool all the way through to college, we have small group leaders. Small group leaders that have to go through a background check and are vetted before they become small group leaders because we value your kids enough to want people to do that. We want the best for them. But small group leaders that begin walking with your child, they're not just people that teach a lesson up here and then that's it. No, they they walk beside your kids. And as they grow, as they go from grade to grade, they walk with them and continue through grade to grade with them. And I can't tell you. See, I'm not just a spokesperson. I'm a client. I've lived this. And I'm telling you, it is so valuable. And both of my, my sons, they, they, they had small group leaders that walked with them. My oldest son had a small group leader that walked through middle school and high school years, the same leader. My, my second son, Landon, he had small group leaders that, you know, walked through from elementary age all the way through to high school. My daughter... She, Shayla, she's had the small, same small group leader since I think she was four years old that's walked with them through every stage of life. And I've said this before, but there are times, and it happened more than once, that, that especially my boys would come home and they would say, you know, Mr. So-and-so, that was their small group leader, Mr. So-and-so, whoever it was at that time, he said that I should do this, something I'd been saying for the last five years, Okay. And everything in me wanted to say, well, I've been saying that for the last five years, but I didn't. And I just said, I, I think that's a great idea. Because they heard it. it. Didn't matter if it was from me or not. They heard it. And that's invaluable. And that's what you want. So when your child is going through and facing all of those situations, choices, and trials, and friends... You want to know that someone who has influence in their life is saying the same things that you're saying. And that is two combined influences that could have maximum impact. And I've heard from so many of you as parents of how that's been so helpful. But I wanted you to hear from one family. Uh, this is Amber Burgess. She and her husband Scott. They have two kids in our student ministry, Ben and Allie. And just hear from her what she has to say about it.
1: My name is Amber Burgess and my husband Scott and I have two kids, Ben who will be a freshman this year and his small group leader is Kurt Lawson Um, and then our daughter Allie will be in eighth grade this year and her small group leader is Zoe Fuquay. We have been attending the bridge for about four and a half years now and their small group leaders have played an instrumental role in our lives as a family. Having someone that my kids can go to when they don't feel comfortable talking to me is very important. You know, if Ben or Allie is struggling in a situation with, um, you know, maybe relationships with friends or Allie's meeting a boy or Ben's meeting a girl, you know, talking about those situations with someone else if they're not comfortable with me means the world to me because I know that their small group leaders will tell them the truth and will give them biblical perspective of how God wants them to live their lives. We sometimes think that we can teach our child by our own experiences, and most of the time they don't listen to us. So, having someone else speak life into your child really gives them a better opportunity in life. You know, they can talk about things that they struggled with when they were teenagers and you know when they got to college and things like that so I really think that's important. Kurt really takes the time to get to know those boys and find out what they like and he'll actually spend time with them you know playing games on Wednesday nights with some of them in the gaming lounge or he'll actually go outside and play basketball with some of the guys just to build those relationships. a major family crisis this year when our daughter Allie broke every bone in her leg and her foot. As parents, sometimes when you're stuck at the hospital for a couple of days, you need a break and you have another child to take care of as well. So one parent's at the hospital and one parent's taking care of the other child. Um, Zoe was amazing with Allie. She came to the hospital. She prayed over her. She brought her a gift basket of goodies for both her and I just to you know, lift her spirits a little bit and um, let her know that she's loved, not only just by her family, but by people in her church as well. Um, That was really important to us. She scheduled time for some of the girls to come visit Allie at home once she was at home, and that, that just meant a lot to us. Kurt and Zoe, thank you so much for speaking truth into our kids' lives for being there for them, for supporting them, for showing up for events, um, for just being who you are. It means the world to our family.
0: I've heard that same story from so many of you. And and I'm so excited that we have a ministry where we can walk beside you as parents and can offer that same kind of influence. And you know what? Some of you... Maybe sitting here today and, and you've not discovered a place where you can serve yet at the bridge, but you've been thinking about it. And I'm just telling you, the family ministry, it, it is one of the best places to plug in and serve because you're on the front lines of seeing lives change. You're on the front lines of being able to have an influence in these, in these kids' lives, in these students' lives. These, these, these future generations that are going to make a real difference in this world, you're on the front lines of being able to, to help with that. And so if, you, if your heart's just warmed up every time you think of babies and preschoolers, then you may just very well be the kind of person we need uh, in our preschool ministry to help those children know that God loves them, that Jesus wants to be their best friend forever. If you, uh, if you like having fun and you can be silly and at the same time teach valuable lessons, you might very well be a great small group leader in our bridge kids, our elementary age, uh, our elementary age area. Um, if you, you know, if you relate well to middle school girls and can help them understand that God has created them perfectly, that God has designed them and has a special purpose for their life, you may be a very good middle school leader. And if you, if you have the ability to, to talk with high school boys, and not only talk with them, but equip them to be ready for life beyond high school, you might very well be a great high school leader. The fact is, you can plug in and make a real, real difference. And we'll help you. We don't just throw you to the wolves. We equip you. We get you ready so that you can make the biggest difference as you walk beside parents, as you're part of this family team ministry. And as parents, I just want to tell you, thank you for allowing us to walk beside you and if you've not ever done that i hope you will give us the privilege of walking beside you as you face in your parenting some of these big obstacles with your with your with your child that we'll be able to walk with you through that and be that influence to help you and us and them navigate all of those obstacles that they face and i think together we, we might just have the ability to make a real difference in the future generations that are coming along and maybe launch our kids without losing our minds. that well, that be my hope and prayer. Let me pray for us, okay?